Okay, guys, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump in uh, to our sermon for this morning. And I'll remind you that all throughout the fall, uh, I guess starting this fall, we we started studying the book of Acts, and that's the book that we're going to be studying all fall. And the programmatic verse for us is Acts 1.8. That verse says, For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. I'm going to say that again. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And that verse really is the thematic verse for the entire book of Acts. It controls, it directs the entire narrative. It sums up It sums up what the book is all about. It sums up what the early church is all about. And even more than that, it continues to sum up our mission and calling as a church in the world. That what Acts teaches us is that as people and as a people, we have a purpose. That we've been called out, that we've been set aside, we've been empowered to bear witness to the life-changing work of Jesus, to be partners with God in his mission to renew the world. We talked about uh, this quote by a guy named Christopher Wright who says, right, that uh, God does not so much have a mission for his church, but a church for his mission. That God is at work in the world. That he's brought us into existence as a people to be a part of that work. Another author, Daryl Guder, he, he says it like this. He says, the apostolic mission, the mission that we see in Acts, right? The apostolic mission was not merely the saving of souls and their collecting into communities of the saved. Now, the apostolic strategy, whose message was the event of salvation accomplished in Jesus Christ, and whose method was defined by the earthly ministry of Jesus, was the formation of witnessing communities whose purpose was to continue the witness that brought them into existence. I'm going to shorten that up and read it one more time. The apostolic strategy was the formation of witnessing communities whose purpose was to continue the witness that brought them into existence. Our prayer and hope for us as a community, for us as individual people and as a community altogether, this fall is that as we go through the the book of Acts, uh, that we would be changed. That we would come to understand that we would come to underst- understand ourselves differently. That we would come to see ourselves as people who are a part of God's mission in the world. That the front lines of that are our very own hearts. That His mission is changing us, is working in us, and that then we get to participate in that also out in the world. Our hope and prayer is that as we go through the series this fall, that we, as a community, would be growing in a in a commitment to being on mission with Jesus uh, here in our community, in East Nashville and Madison and Hendersonville and Donaldson, that we would be a part of the adventure that God is on and has called us to be a part of in the world. So I'm going to invite Savannah to come up. Savannah is reading our text this morning. And as Savannah's coming up, I just want to remind you kind of the background of this story. The story that we're in in Acts 4 this week is a continuation of where we were last week. 
There's this man who had been sitting at the gates of the temple for 40 years, a man who had been lame from birth. And this man asked Peter, one of the disciples, for money. And Peter says, I don't have, I don't have any money right now. I don't have cash on me. Uh, but what I do have, I give to you. And he pulls him up and the man walks. That he leaps with joy and that when the people see this miraculous sign, they all rush together in the temple and Peter starts telling them about who Jesus is, the Jesus who has done this work. And so our story this morning picks up where that story left off. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts 4. It will also be up here on the screen and you can follow along. Yeah. All right. Um, Acts 4, 1 through 30. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men who came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Cephas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they, were, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone... Or, yeah, the, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that we may spread no further, or that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Thanks, Savannah. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you would choose to preserve uh, this account, Lord, these accounts of the early church for us. Lord, not simply to inform us or to give us more information about a specific time period, but to shape our hearts and our lives. And we pray that you would do that for us this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, as we start, uh, I want to, uh, well, just first of all, thank you to Savannah for reading such a very long passage, right? There's a lot of words. And I think that as a whole, the story is, is really important. The whole story is really important because what we see is uh, the push and pull, the tension of what happens when people are out boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus, who are participating in the mission of Jesus. And what I want to ask you to start is when you think about the mission that God is about in the world, the mission that God is on in the world, what words come to mind for you to describe that mission? What are the words that come to mind to you, come to mind for you in describing the mission that God is on and is about in the world? Yeah, he's restoring. He's the rescuer. He's rescuing. I don't think there's an E, huh? <laughs> Doesn't look right. Okay, rescuing. What else? He's light and love. He's pursuing. Oh, it's powerful, yeah. Thinking of the passage that we worked through last week, that it's uh, a mission of refreshing, a mission of blessing. It, it's relentless. This is the mission that our God is about in the world. That he's restoring, that he's rescuing, that he's pursuing, that he's refreshing, blessing, and he's doing this with power. It's relentless. He's filling the world with light and love in, in the midst of his powerful name. That, that That's the mission, that's the work that our God is about in the world. That's the work that he's invited us into. And us coming into that mission is a part of our discipleship. So what we're going to talk about first this morning is the disruptive discipleship that we see the disciples participating in with Jesus in this passage. If you're wondering, what does the word discipleship mean? We talk about discipleship groups. What does that mean? Well, we see, we get a picture of it in verse 13 in this passage. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That phrase is a perfect summation of discipleship. Discipleship is about us being with Jesus. And that what we know, what we experience as humans all the time is that when we are with people consistently, it changes us. Like for a while, I worked, uh, I worked with my brother-in-law and we got assigned uh, a similar, we got assigned to the same project working in downtown Nashville. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a lot. We even shared a cubicle. So it was a lot of together time. And people asked us all the time, uh, are, you guys, are you guys related? You must be brothers, right? Are you twins? Which was a ridiculous thing to ask because we look nothing alike. No one would ever confuse us for twins if you had met us out on the street. But before we worked together, we had been friends for a long time. Before he was even my brother-in-law, we had been friends for a long time and spent a ton of time around each other. And that what had happened in the course of all that time that we spent together is that our mannerisms became very similar. That's a piece of what that the scribes and the, the rulers, the elders are recognizing about these disciples is that they were a people who had spent a lot of time with Jesus and because of that, the way that they were, the way that they talked, the way that they carried themselves, it resembled Jesus. And yet, discipleship is, is more than simply spending time together. But to be, to be a disciple and this was true in, in Jesus' day, it was a word that they used often, to be someone's disciple was to come to them and say, I want you to, sh- to shape my life. In fact, I'm gonna model my life after your life. That what Peter had, and John had done with Jesus is they had said, Jesus, you, you change everything about who I am. I'm submitting my heart, my mind, my will to you. I want you to change and to challenge me. They were intentional about modeling their lives, shaping their lives after Jesus, and Jesus was intentional about shaping them, that he was invested in helping to develop and grow them into who he knew they were created to be. It's an apprenticeship, but an apprenticeship not for a specific skill, but for life. The rulers, the elders, and the scribes, they're recognizing this in the disciples. They say they're, they're uneducated, they're common men. What they're saying is that these men have had no formal religious training. Yet because of the time they've spent with Jesus, they've been changed. That the way that they see the scriptures and use the scriptures and speak about who God is have been changed and it resembles Jesus. And so they're recognizing, oh, these are people who have been taught by Jesus. And yet, discipleship is even more than that. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, grace erupted into the lives of the disciples. And it covered everything. It totally reinterpreted in their minds everything that they had seen Jesus be about. They understood it in an entirely new way. And what they saw clearly for the first time is that Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost was for them that Jesus had come for them.
that all of this was not about all the things God was going to do out in the world. It was not about what he was going to do only for the nation of Israel. It was about what God wanted to do in their hearts and lives. We see that in verse 12. They say, Peter says, there's, and there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That Peter is lumping himself in there. He's saying, that's true about me. And there's something else that, the, that these rulers, these elders, and these scribes are seeing in the disciples. What they're seeing in them is that the same power that was at work in Jesus during his earthly ministry is at work in and through these men. The same power that was at work in Jesus during his earthly ministry is at work in these disciples. The same boldness that comes out in Jesus because of the work of the Holy Spirit is at work in these men. When they say, oh, they've been with Jesus, they're recognizing that the boldness that they have is reflective of the boldness that was in Jesus because the same power is behind both of them. And that process of discipleship, of becoming more like Jesus, it started for Peter and John all the way back when Jesus called them and continued for the rest of their lives is the same process of discipleship that we have been called into. That we would be a people who are constantly being made more and more into the image of Jesus as we follow him. I love that in Peter's perspective as he's preaching the sermon, he's talking about Jesus' active work in the world as he's preaching. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. What Peter is saying is Jesus is still on the move, shaping and changing, discipling people in their lives. That was true then and it's true now for us. That's the process we've been called into, the relationship we've been called into, of communing with Christ through prayer, through his word and silence, what we're doing here together that we'd be taught by him as we submit our whole selves to him. Not as a teacher or, or as a guru, but as our savior and as our Lord. That part of our discipleship is learning to walk in the power that comes to us through his Holy Spirit. That's why we call the small groups that we're about to start discipleship groups is because we believe those groups are places where we work out this mission of being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And included in our discipleship, in this process of discipleship, is us being on mission with Jesus. You can't separate spiritual maturity and the idea of being on mission from each other. They go together, they fit together. We see this in verse 31 of our passage. All these believers gather together. They're praying for the Holy Spirit to give them boldness. And it says, then all of them continue to speak the word of God with boldness. This was a thing that the whole community was doing. And that everything that we see in this passage flows from Peter's conviction that he is a part of and has been called into this mission of Jesus. And of course that's true. 
when we think about what's true about Jesus' heart. But our Jesus, his, his heart is for people who are lost. That he has compassion for them, that he's broken for them, that he desires them to seek and to save. That he cares deeply about those who are weary and who are oppressed, those who have been beat down by life. But our Jesus' heart is for, it's toward those who are adrift in the sea of, of meaninglessness of, na- of life. And if that's his heart, and we're being shaped more and more into his image, then that would be our heart as well. As we talk about being on mission with Jesus, does that, has that started to press in on you at all, like during the week? Maybe that I'm just describing, <laughs> yes, I got one person, okay. Anybody else experiencing that? Like, God, what does it mean to be on mission here? I will tell you, I have been experiencing that in my own life as I'm preaching these sermons. It's like, Lord, what are you asking me? What are you, what are you asking me to be a part of with you? And if you're feeling that at all, yes, I hope that that's true. Because this call to discipleship in our lives, guys, it is disruptive. It comes in and it messes things up because it actually has to do with the nitty-gritty parts of our lives. That discipleship, that following Jesus isn't this thing that we kind of pour into our lives as they already exist and hope that it fills in the cracks and makes us as happy as we desire to be. That is not discipleship. Discipleship is our lives being turned over to this Jesus who has turned his life over for us. And saying, Jesus, would you direct us in how we, how we live in this world? That's discipleship. And if it feels like it's pressing in on you, yes. That's what it does, because that's what Jesus does because of how much he cares for you and loves you. Think about Peter's life for a second. Was this disruptive for Peter, discipleship? Yes, it was, right? Just remember, Peter was not someone who came searching for Jesus. He, he, he didn't say, Jesus, look, I've been doing my, my Enneagram test and my skills finder, my strengths finder, and what I know is that I have been called to be in ministry. So can I sign up and come to your ministry school? That is not what Peter did. Peter was out fishing, doing his other regular job. And Jesus came to him, which was unusual for a rabbi to do in this day. Jesus came to him and said, hey, you, you follow me. That's disruptive, right? Peter left one calling to come and follow Jesus. At one point, Jesus says, Peter says to Jesus, oh, we have left everything to follow you. We have left everything to follow you. My life has been totally disrupted by you coming in here and monkeying around. And after Jesus dies, you know where Peter goes? Back to the boat. Jesus comes and finds him fishing. That Peter is saying, enough of the disruption. Let me go back to what I know. And Jesus comes to him and meets him with grace and with mercy and says, all of the sins that you have, I have blotted them out. All of the shame that you were carrying because of your denial, you can be free of that. And now that you're free of it, I'm gonna send you back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're gonna be involved in my mission in an entirely new way. 
disruptive. Peter finds himself l- being at the helm of this organization that has no organizational structure, right? Has no job description. It's like the consummate startup. So no roadmap. And Peter is saying, Lord, you take my life and lead me in this. That's disruptive. But if, if we're going to be a people who are being discipled by Jesus, we have to believe <laughs> that it's going to disrupt our lives. And friends, that is so hard for us, isn't it? Is it hard for you? Because I will tell you, I am working very hard to manage my life. To figure it out, to put a system in place, and to make it work, and to make it work for me. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to plan. That's not what I'm saying. But what is true about us is that when Jesus has come to us, loved us, showered us with grace and mercy that the center of our lives has changed from ourselves to him and now we are orbiting around him rather than ourselves. That we are now free from the endless narcissism and navel-gazing that we so easily fall prey to. That we've been invited into a story that is so much larger than ourselves. Are you willing to let that disrupt your life? to step into something that you can't control, to be on this adventure of being on mission. And that story of liberation, of liberation from self and from sin, the story that we see Peter boldly proclaiming here, that is the story that we are called to proclaim in our lives, with our lives. And it's, It's a story that our world is desperate to hear. You see that in verses one through four of our passage. As they were speaking to the people, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were annoyed because there was this huge crowd that had swelled around Peter and John and they were preaching things that that the rulers didn't like people were hungry to hear what Peter and John had to say. So in an effort to, s- to stamp that out, they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. The interpretation of that phrase, the number of men came to about 5,000, is tricky to interpret. We don't know if it's the number of people came to 5,000, if the number of men came to 5,000, but there were also lots of other people. It, it, it's, hard, it's hard to kind of parse it out, but what we do know is that people are responding to the message of grace and mercy, of faith and repentance that Peter and John are preaching. Those people are spiritually hungry. It's easy for us to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I recognize that people back then were spiritually hungry, right? Back in the time, people were more religious or more whatever. But today? Friends, the, there are people around us who are spiritually hungry. We know that. All you have to do is go to Ugly Mugs, okay? And look at that, uh, look at that counter where they have out all the business cards. 
It's a great place to find a realtor if you're looking for a realtor. There are lots of realtor cards up there. There are also cards that are trying to get your business to talk about lots of spiritual things. We are, we are a people. We live amongst the people who are spiritually hungry and curious. There's this book called you, you Found Me by a guy named Rick Richardson. Rick Richardson. And in this book, he, he spends some time kind of untangling and, and putting together some different pieces of various spiritual surveys. And, and what these surveys found, this was in 2019, is that 79% of people agree with the statement that if they have a friend who, uh, whose faith is important to them, that they, uh, they believe it is a, let me, let me get this exactly right, okay? Uh, that they don't mind their friend talking to them about the, about the strongly held belief that they have. Say that again. 79% of people agree that if their friend uh, has a faith that's important to them, that they are willing to hear about that faith. Is that more than you would imagine? That's more than I often imagine. That's more than, than the storyline that's in my head. 39% of unchurched millennials say that they are likely to attend church regularly sometime in the future. So 39% of, peop- of, 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 of millennials right, who don't go to church now say at some time in the future, I think I will regularly go to church. What? That's a lot more than I would imagine. And it's just a very interesting stat that at some point in the future, I think that that will be something that's important to me and that I'll want to be a part of. But what that tells you is that there are people who believe that spirituality is an important an important part of their lives and that they believe that the church is a place that they can engage with that. 39% of people. We talked about this stat last week that 51% of people say that a personal invitation uh, from a close friend would be an effective way of them engaging in church. But there is more spiritual interest in our world than we often are led to believe. And we, friends, we know that's true because that's true about us, isn't it? That's true about the spiritual hunger in our own lives. That knowing Jesus doesn't make that hunger go away. That if anything, it fans it into flame more. But that we are a people who have our own questions about God, aren't we? We are a people who desire more of God for ourselves, aren't we? That's true about us because we're people. That we live in a world that is spiritually curious. And it's into that world that we are called to engage boldly with the gospel. I love how Peter and John respond to being told, hey, hey, this is fine. Just don't talk anymore about Jesus, okay? Just keep it to yourselves. Peter and John answer, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. Spoiler alert, the answer to that question is pretty, pretty obvious, right? If it's right to listen to you or to God, you can judge. For we cannot speak of, cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And what Peter and John are saying is we are under obligation because of what Jesus has done for us that we would be a people who, who would speak about what we have seen and heard of Jesus. That we would be a people, Peter and John are saying, who are speaking about this mission. 
at what it's meant for them in their own lives. And friends, that kind of bold engagement with our world, uh, it is disruptive to our lives. If you are engaging in that, uh, it will be disruptive to your life, to your life. This kind of bold engagement, it requires us to be people who are curious about the people around us. If we're going to engage boldly with our word, it's not only about the things that we would say, it's about the questions that we would ask to get to know the people around us. That we would be willing to ask bold questions uh, to learn and be curious about where people are spiritually in their lives. Again, I, I feel like sometimes I have a, a, a leg up as a pastor because once I identify as a pastor, uh, it kind of opens the door for these conversations, right? But I will say, even for me sometimes, it is scary to ask someone, hey, tell me about your spiritual life. Uh, but if we're going to be a people who are on mission, it starts not only with the words that we would say, but about being curious about the people around us. And to make room for people who are curious, for, for their questions, for our questions, that's going to be disruptive. It's also disruptive to be a people who would speak about who Jesus is. One of the commentators that I read this week, Ben Witherington, he, he points out that a third of the book of Acts is direct speech. So it was recorded speeches, and that is highly unusual in ancient histories, which Acts is, it's an ancient history. Uh, and that it's, it's, it's highly unusual. But what it reminds us of is that speech is an important part, is a central part to what it means to being on mission with Jesus. We see it all over this passage. In verse one, as they were speaking to the people. Then we jump down. The opponents, uh, the opponents of Jesus, the, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, what they command them is don't speak anymore. Peter and John say, for we cannot help but speak. And then at the end of the passage, they pray that they would be able to speak with all boldness, and in verse 31, they continue to speak with boldness. Speaking is an important part of what it means to be on mission with Jesus. It's not the whole thing, but it's an important part of it. That we'd be people who proclaim what we read in verse 12, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved, which is, friends, a radically inclusive message. Because what it says is that at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. That we are all rich or poor, male or female, no matter your cultural background or ethnicity, no matter where you come from, no matter what your story is, that what is true about all of us is that we are all equal at the foot of, our cro at the, foot of the cross because we are all in desperate need of Jesus. And it's a radically inclusive message because it says the work of Jesus is for, uh, for each of us that there is no one who is excluded from the work of, from, from the work of Christ, that, that what we are called to is to accept that work for ourselves. That the invitation to come to him, to be found in him, is an invitation that is equally extended to all. And the call is that we would be a people who are speaking that message as we bear witness to what we have seen and heard, to what we have experienced about Jesus working in our own lives.
One of my favorite emojis is the um, the monkey emoji, the one where he's covering his mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Like this. Sometimes I feel like that's how I live my, my, my life out in the world when it comes to talking about Jesus. Just like this. No, and the call is that we would put our hands down, that we'd be willing to talk about what we've seen and heard, what we've experienced of Jesus in our lives. What does that look like? It can look like a lot of things. One of the challenges I want to give you for this fall is would one of the things that looks like for you uh, be inviting a person here on Sunday morning? Like if, if truly, if 51% of people say that being invited by a friend to church is something that they believe would be a- effective, it would be important in their lives, that they're willing to, to hear and respond to, would we put that to the test? Would you be willing to do that this fall to, to ask God, Lord, who would you call me to invite? And to think about that as a way of participating in the mission of what Jesus is about in the world. But this would not, yes, yes, this is, this is for, uh, for our community, but it's also for us as a part of our discipleship as we are walking with Jesus. And I will tell you that as we go into this mission of boldly proclaiming uh, who Jesus is, as we participate in this mission of discipleship in our own lives, I will tell you what it will take in us is boldness. Does hearing that kind of scare anybody? challenge of, of speaking about Jesus, of inviting. Of yeah, you are not alone. That was true about Peter and John and all of these early believers. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to pray for boldness in the first place. They were scared too. And I love, this has been so mind-bending for me to see that they pray for boldness because so often I'm praying for what I want to see God do out in other people and what these people pray for is what God would do in them. God, would you give us boldness? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That what the disciples are living at, what they know is true, what they're demonstrating that they know to be true is that they have been given everything that they need for life and godliness. That's true for you. You've been given everything that you need for life and godliness. You've been given everything you need for the work that God is doing in your heart and to participate in that work out in the world. You've been given all of it already. The promise of Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you are in Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit already. You have that power. So what we're talking about is not asking that God would give us something that we don't have, but that he would wake us up, that he would give us the courage to step out in what is already true about us and what we already have. Okay, what this made me think of is the movie Ford versus Ferrari. Just hang with me here, okay? So uh, the movie is about uh, the Ford Motor Company. There's this time, I think it was the 60s, where their, their sales were just in a, in a, in a free fall, in an abysmal decline. And they're trying to figure out, how are we going to turn around this company? How are we going to make people want to buy our cars again? And someone's like, I have the idea. We're going we're gonna to start racing Ford cars. They're like, well, this is a bad idea because we have basically like Model Ts running around the world. So this is not, not, not fit for racing. They're like, yes, we're going to design a car that's going to race and that's going to show people that Ford is a brand that they want to drive and it's exciting. And so they convince uh, Henry Ford Jr. to invest all of this money, just lots and lots of money, in building a car that can race in Le Mans, which is this long 24-hour race. Anyway, Ford says yes. 
So they spend all this time, all this money, all this energy building this, this race car. And right before, uh, kind of like on the eve of, of the race that's coming up, this big race that they've been, again, spending so much energy and effort to prepare for, uh, Henry Ford Jr. flies in on his private jet onto the, onto the tarmac where they're testing this car, and he's about to disrupt the whole thing. He's about to tell them, no, you need a new driver. You've got you to do some things differently. And, and this, is what, uh, this is what happens. So I'm going to ask, we're going we're gonna to play this clip. I had no idea. I had no idea. What did he have no idea of? He had no idea of the power that was in this car that he had invested in. He had no idea the power that was sitting in this garage that he had paid for, that he had access to whenever he wanted it. And when he finally sat in that car and experienced the power of it, it changed his life. That's what it means for us to, to pray for boldness. Is to admit, Lord, I have no idea the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in my life and at work in the world around us, but I want to know. Would you give me the boldness to step into the car? To experience the power that you've promised me to be a part of this mission that you've called me on. as we step into this adventure of discipleship, of bearing witness to who Jesus is in our lives with our words, with our curiosity, with the way that we live and exercise compassion in the people around us, that what we would experience as a people is the power of God at work in us uh, and through us as a community. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, we praise you for the disruptive work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you come in and that you, uh, that you have changed our lives, that you have re reoriented us, Lord, that you have given us a new center of gravity. Lord, as we learn what it means to be a people who are, uh, who are following you, who are being discipled by you, who are being shaped by you, who are, who are learning, Lord, what it means to walk in the power that you have given us, uh, Lord, would you, would you give us boldness? Lord, would you give us boldness to believe the audacious promise that you have come for us because you love us, not because of what we have done for you. Lord, would you give us even the boldness to step into that in a new way as we worship you this morning. Amen.